take your Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 11. If you picked up one of our cart Bibles on the way in, you can find that on page 559. Now, if you're visiting or you weren't able to be here uh, with us last week, uh, I would commend the sermon to you. Go and listen to it if you haven't had a chance. At least read through Ecclesiastes 10. Uh, last week we heard from Pastor Kerr uh, the wisdom of our work the wisdom of our words, the wisdom concerning politics. And so our section in chapter 11 begins following up with that, and we'll see wisdom concerning business. And so read that chapter from last week. Listen to that sermon from last week. Uh, and also, as Pastor Kerr mentioned, uh, we are coming towards the end of our series through Ecclesiastes. So the next two weeks after today, we'll be in chapter 12, finishing up this book, and so much of it is so connected and so beautifully put together, I, I commend uh, this series to you. So, so if you weren't able to catch those, uh, find them on our website. Uh, but we'll be in Ecclesiastes 11. Read the whole chapter, verses 1 through 10. But before we do that, won't you join me in prayer one more time? Gracious Lord and God, we thank you for the wisdom that you give us. We thank you for this reminder that you are working, that you're working even when we don't see it. So Father, would you help us to see you, to see your son Christ, to see the work that you've done for us. Father, would you open our eyes and open our hearts to hear your word this morning. So Lord, we ask your blessing and we ask all these things in Jesus' name, amen. Now here from Ecclesiastes chapter 11, cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days. Give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way the Spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening, withhold not your hand. For you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart in the sight of your eyes, but know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body, for youth in the dawn of life are vanity. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. May he add a blessing as we study together. Now anyone who knows about Johnny Cash may know a number of his hits. You might know Ring of Fire or Folsom Prison Blues and My Tennessee's Coming Out as I kind of slur these titles. You might also know the song Walk the Line, uh, but you may not know the story behind Walk the Line. The lyrics themselves are fairly simple to understand, so here's a, a verse in, a, in the chorus of the song from Walk the Line by Johnny Cash. It says, I keep a close watch on this heart of mine I keep my eyes wide open all the time. I keep the ends out for the tie that binds. Because you're mine, I walk the line. 
I find it very, very easy to be true. I find myself alone when each day is through. Yes, I'll admit that I'm a fool for you. Because you're mine, I walk the line. Now, just a little bit of research will tell you that Johnny Cash was newly married when he wrote that song in 1956. And the words are straightforward. It's his pledge to be faithful to his new wife, to find himself alone in his hotel room each and every night. And, and what's his reasoning? Well, he's, he's married. Because you're mine, I walk the line. I find it very easy to be true. I'm a fool for you. Uh, however, who did he write this song for? Now, his most famous partner is, is June Carter, but he didn't write this song for June Carter. He wrote it for his first wife named Vivian Liberto. They had four kids, but eventually Liberto filed for divorce because of Johnny Cash's drinking, his drug use, and his close and, and adulterous relationship with June Carter and, and several other women. So in some way, so much for walking the line, right? Now I don't say all this to speak ill of, of a man who's passed on, but as we come to our text this morning, we'll see a text that calls us to walk in the ways of the Lord. This text continues on. It begins with a call to be wise in business, in the business that the Lord has set before us. So one commentator summarized that first section with two words, be bold. So that's our first point this morning, to be bold. And then from there, we'll see uh, not just wisdom for business, but wisdom for life. And so in that wisdom for life, we'll see him calling us to set our hearts, to set our eyes on the Lord and to walk in his ways. So that's our second point, to be godly. So that's where we're headed this morning, to be bold and to be godly. So let's begin by looking at this call to be bold. Our text begins with this fascinating phrase, cast your bread upon the waters and you will find it after many days. When I first read this and began to study, the image that came to mind was someone sitting on a bench uh, feeding ducks, right? That's, that's the picture that came to mind. And if that's the picture, how is it then that you would get that bread back? Because either it's moldy or soggy or a duck has eaten it or something. How would you then find it after many days? Uh, but that's not the image here. Scholars uh, really have two ideas about what's happening with uh, this verse. And the first is that it's, uh, a business opportunity. Send your grain, send your goods, send your produce somewhere else. Be wise with business. And certainly this is connected to verse 2 where it says, uh, give a portion to seven or even to eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. This is good business wisdom. Don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? So certainly that makes sense. With this all this also may be a sort of pay-it-forward type of idea. This may be you hear of a need, so send your grain, send your goods, send your excess across the sea to those who are in need. And this may, again, be connected to verse 2 that way, where it says, if you hear of a need, give. If you hear another one, give. If you hear a third and a fourth and a fifth, yes, seven, even eight, send your resources that way. And just as a, as a note about this, give your portion to seven or even to eight, that's a, a way of getting your attention in Hebrew. We see it many times in Hebrew wisdom and in Hebrew poetry. Uh, the first is to get your attention, and the second number is really, really the number to focus on. You see it in Proverbs, where, yes, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable. That's supposed to get your attention. Wait, there are six things the Lord hates? 
whoa, no, there's seven, really. And so you're supposed to split your resources eight ways? No, that's, this is what the Lord is calling us to do. This is that first hint of the boldness that the Lord is calling us to work with in this passage. So whether it's a charitable act or whether it's a business venture, don't put all your eggs in one basket because you don't know what disaster will happen upon the earth. So diversify. That's the wisdom of many financial pundits is, is to diversify your, your investments, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen. You don't know when there might be a microchip production shortage like we're facing right now that shorts out production of cars and computers and anything else that has a microchip. You don't know what ship might make a wrong turn in the Suez Canal and interrupt international trade for weeks and months on end. You don't know when there might be a labor shortage like we're facing right now. You don't know what's going to happen. So don't put all your eggs in one basket. And you don't know what family might need that gift. You don't know what missionary might face a crisis like the missionaries in Ukraine right now. So whether it's business or giving to charity, be bold. Give to whom you're able to give. Because we know that things happen. Bad things happen and good things alike happen. This is life. And this is verse 3. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where that tree falls, there it will lie. If it's cloudy, it's going to rain. If a tree falls down, it is going to stay there until you come with a chainsaw and cut it up and move it yourself. We know that these things happen. The Lord has so ordained the way that the earth works that we can know these things. It's the reason that meteorologists have a job, because we can know these things. But there is a danger in knowing all this, in seeking to know all the things that we can possibly know. There's a danger in that. Now take General Joseph Hooker, for example. If you don't know who that is, he was a Civil War general. He was appointed to the Union Army of the, of the Potomac, uh, and he fought Robert E. Lee at the Battle of Chancellorsville. But General Hooker was one who loved information. He founded the first uh, military uh, Intelligence organization, the Bureau of Military Intelligence. Uh, he knew everything there was that you could possibly know about Robert E. Lee. He had cracked his codes, so he was able to read uh, Robert E. Lee's mail. He hired a hot air balloon to fly over Lee's camps to see where his troops were. He had them outnumbered two to one. He knew everything there was to know about Robert E. Lee. And so he had decided that at Chancellorsville, he had kind of cornered Lee on three sides. He knew the only thing that Lee could do was retreat. So what General Hooker does is he says, I want my army fresh. So instead of attacking at that moment, he tells them to rest, get a good night's sleep, make a big meal, make a big fire, enjoy yourselves, have a drink, be refreshed. Tomorrow, we're going to catch Lee. But he forgot the one thing he needed to know, and that it's Robert E. Lee that he was fighting. The, probably the greatest military mind that the U.S. has ever produced. So that night, as Lee split his troops up to go and attack Hooker's forces, uh, more information is coming in to General Hooker saying, I, I think Lee's attacking us. And Hooker says, nope, we're not going to do anything. The only thing he can do is retreat. He had certain information, and he was frozen. He wasn't able to act. 
So he was forgetting the one thing he needed to know, that it was Robert E. Lee. And this is what's happening in verse 4. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. If you stand out all day watching the clouds, wondering if it's too windy to get your seed in the right place, you'll never sow. And if you watch the clouds, wondering if it's going to rain, you'll never go out and start to harvest your crops. But at some point, Hooker needs to attack. And at some point, that farmer needs to sow his seed. And at some point, he needs to reap the harvest. So, friends, at some point, do the business that God has set before you. Whether it's making a decision about a move or a job or what school to go to or what school to send your children or even if it's just which pair of shoes to buy, at some point, do the work that the Lord has set before you and do it with boldness. Now, all of those things, schools and moves and jobs, they're important things. This doesn't give us license. It doesn't give us license to be rash and, and to be foolish but the Lord gives us a foundation. Verse five, as you do not know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. You might have all the information you can gather, but you're forgetting the important thing. You're forgetting that God is at work. We don't always know, we don't always understand how he's at work, but he is. And we can be assured of his work in us around us, in the world around us, the Lord is at work. Whether you know it or not, whether you see it or not, the Lord is at work. So whatever business he has set before you, and this isn't just about our jobs and making money, but whatever he has called us to do, some of you are parents. All of us are children. Some of you are engineers. Some are teachers. And we're all here as believers to, to serve one another, to care for those in need, to hear the gospel and to share the gospel with others, that is some of the business that the Lord has given to us. So do it. So do all the things. Whatever the Lord has put before you, do it. Tell your neighbor about Christ. Give money that you've been wondering what to do with. Give it and give it with gladness. Take that meal to that acquaintance in need. Do the things the Lord has given you with boldness. Be bold. Our passage continues in verse 6. In the morning, sow your seed, and at evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know what will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. Don't withhold. Maybe that business venture will work. Maybe it won't. Maybe it's the other one. Maybe it's both. Maybe that neighbor won't respond to the gospel. And maybe you'll face some scrutiny. Maybe you'll be maligned or you'll lose some social standing. Maybe you'll lose some money. Maybe you won't. Maybe that neighbor will respond to the gospel. So be bold. You don't know what the Lord will prosper, so go about it with boldness. And there's a trend sometimes in, in certain Christian circles to, to think that Christians ought to be meek and be taken advantage of all the time. And don't misunderstand me. There is a time to be meek. And there's a time to be respectful. And there's a time to be quiet and, and to defer to the wisdom of others. Because Christ did that. He was meek. He was quiet as a lamb led to the slaughter. But he's also a Lord who turned over tables, who spoke boldly to the Pharisees when they were in error, and he did not shy away from sharing the gospel ever. 
and he certainly did not shy away from sharing himself. So whatever business the Lord has given you, do it with boldness. Trust the Lord, know the Lord, ask for his help, and go about the business with boldness. So the question then remains is how do we do this? How can we be bold? Part of it we just answered. Know the Lord, trust the Lord. But where our text next points us then is to joy and to godliness. So be godly. And make no mistake, being joyful, enjoying the good things that the Lord has given us, it's what we're supposed to do. So as we turn to look at our second point this morning, don't miss the goodness and the godliness of joy. Look back at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. Now, as we all live here in New England, uh, you're familiar with the day that I'm going to describe. You know that day, that first real day of spring where most of the snow is melted. That sun is warm. It's maybe in the 60s, uh, and all of a sudden people are out. You see them out going for a run in shorts this time, and it's really hard to drive around because all the cyclists are out. You know the day that I'm talking about. It's that, that first warm day and how good it is to feel the sun on your cheeks. And for the believer, how good it is to feel that and thank the creator for that day. It's good to rejoice in those good days. And this theme of rejoicing continues in verse 8. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. So if you live many years, rejoice. Rejoice in the long life that God has given you. Rejoice in the good days. And we've all had bad days. And we know that bad days happen. Bad periods of life happen. You learn perhaps that a loved one has passed away or someone betrays your trust. Those are bad days. And bad days will happen. And now if there was ever a passage that contradicts the prosperity gospel, this is it. Ecclesiastes is it. That prosperity gospel, that lie by preachers told who just want to be liked and, and want uh, people to feel good, it's a lie and it should be avoided. But you know that lie. If you believe enough, then you'll get all the material things that you want. But there's a difference in the prosperity gospel and enjoying and rejoicing in the good things that the Lord has given to us. Bad days will come. And that's the testament of, of Scripture. Christ himself says, if the world hated you, then it has hated me first. Or in 2 Timothy, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And James, consider it joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, not if you meet trials, when you meet trials. Or even from the Psalms, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. To follow Christ is to suffer. Make no mistake of that. That's the way of things. So what can we do? Trust that God is at work. Even in our trials, trust him that he's at work. Even in our sufferings, the Lord is at work. So when you're not suffering, when you're having good days, rejoice. Because that's a gift from God. Rejoice. So enjoy your life. Enjoy what God has given you. Rejoice in it. And 
And I'm going to ask a question. I'm going to ask it rhetorically because I know you all and I know that you know the answer. But what's the best thing the Lord has given to you? It's Christ. We know that answer. It's salvation through him. It's giving you new life in Christ. It's giving you that promise of life eternal with him. And that's a gift worth rejoicing over. When I was 16, I worked at a small Christian camp towards the end of the week. Uh, my group with the other counselor and the 10 or so 11-year-old boys we had, we had a bonfire one night, and uh, a kid named Tristan said, I think I became a Christian today. And so we, we talked to him about it, and uh, he seemed to have an understanding of the gospel, and uh, we came back and told the rest of the group, and they just started shouting. <laughs> They were so happy for Tristan. And so we danced around like lost boys in Peter Pan. And you better believe that a bunch of 11-year-olds, a 16-year-old, and an 18-year-old made the biggest bonfire we could that night. It was a party. And that's the picture that I have in my mind when, when I read, of Luke 15, read from Luke 15. I tell you, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who need no repentance. It's the picture I have in mind when we read from Psalm 51 and David prays asking for the Lord to restore the joy of his salvation. Rejoice in the Lord's goodness to you. Rejoice in Christ's work on the cross, his resurrection. Rejoice in what he's done for you. So our text now continues in verse 9 with a pretty logical step. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the way of your heart in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So do those things that God has put before you. Again, be bold. Go and do, but know that the Lord will judge our actions. They're seen, our actions are seen by the Lord. So the question is, do your eyes seek him? Are your eyes focused on him? Is your heart oriented towards him? Do you love the Lord? Because if your heart loves him, you'll walk toward him. And if your eyes are fixed upon him, you'll walk toward him. So how do we act? How do we set our eyes to do this? How do we set our hearts on this? Well, think back to where we've come from in Ecclesiastes. Our preacher Solomon, uh, in the first few chapters, he's seeking the meaning of, of life. He's looking at everything around him and trying it and seeing if that gives him meaning. In fact, in chapter 2, he even says that whatever his eyes saw, he denied them nothing. He set his heart to know wisdom and followed every impulse of his to the end of the earth. In the most recent chapters, we've been examining the future. How can we have wisdom for business? Or last week, how can we have wisdom for, for politics and for our work and for uh, the words that we say? This is thinking about where meaning will come from in the future. And what has this gotten for Solomon? Where did following his eyes lead him? This passage isn't giving us license to, to do whatever we want. No, this passage is calling us to not follow Solomon but to take his wisdom, take his advice here and focus that on the Lord. Turn your hearts to the Lord. Focus your eyes on him. And how do we do that? Well, we have to know him. And where do we know him? We read, him in the, we read about Christ in the scriptures. So read the scriptures. 
Thy word is a light to my path. How can we see if we don't have the lamp of God's word in front of us? God has put his business before us. He's not just left us to do it ourselves. He is working. He's working even when you don't see him. So be bold. Be bold to do what he's given you. Go and do it. And in that boldness, set your heart on him. Set your eyes on him. So what does our last verse here have to say about this? Verse 10. This is a final call. It's a final call for wisdom final call to set our eyes on him. Put away, it says, put away vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. What's this driving at? How can you be wise? You won't be young forever. We know this. This is what Solomon's been telling us and all of us know here from personal experience. We won't be young forever. And Every day won't seem like the newness of life of that first day of spring. But when it does, rejoice. Rejoice in it. Don't be foolish. Don't act like you're young when you're not. Don't worry over the things that you don't know because you know the one most important thing, and that is that God is at work. So how do you walk the line? Trust the Lord. Do what he set before you. Be bold and walk in his ways. Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and God, we thank you for your wisdom. We thank you for your word. Father, help us to set our hearts on you. Help us to set our eyes on you. Father, thank you for this chance to come and and to learn, to learn from you, to fellowship with you and fellowship with one another. Lord, change our hearts towards you more and more. Focus our eyes on you. Lord, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.